Uh, if you have your Bibles, and if you, if you don't, uh, in front of you on some of the chairs there are Bibles if you want to turn to uh, James chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one, one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's pray. Father God, we ask please that let your Holy Spirit fill this place this morning and fill our hearts. Open our hearts and minds to your word that, that we can come to a greater understanding and a greater knowledge of your love and try to, try to walk according to the way that you'd have us walk. Let us be imitators of you, Lord Jesus, so that we can truthfully be called Christians. Father God, we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. morning we get to talk about faith and works. Isn't that exciting? <clears throat> One of the challenges when folks come to this section of scripture is we, we think that words only ever have one meaning. But we know different in life, don't we? We can say the word, um, but mean different things. Well, the easiest example is for me to talk about love, right? I love my wife and I love a cheeseburger, but those aren't the same thing, are they? Am I talking about the same kind of love? No. 
Right? So when we come to, to this section of Scripture, we work our way through this section of Scripture, we want to understand, what is it that James means when he says, faith without works is dead? And didn't Paul say that all we need is faith and we don't need works? And are, they, are those two guys, are those two books in disagreement? Well, no, they're not in disagreement because Paul is talking about works of the law when he uses the word works. And James is talking about fruit. So if I tell you, I got an apple tree, and you say to me, how do you know you got an apple tree? Well, one of the easiest ways for me to know I got an apple tree is it will have, oh, you guys are so bright. So it'll have apples on it. You mean there'll be fruit. Now, if I have a tree that never bears fruit, now maybe you guys all can tell by leaves and all that other stuff, but I can't. A tree is a tree is a tree. Unless something comes off it. When we bought the house we're in now, rumor was we had an apricot tree. I even had a special pruning guy come and prune the apricot tree. And he said, yep, you got an apricot tree. I think they're full of beans. I have not seen one apricot on that tree in two years. Not one. Lots of leaves. No apricots. I got excited because there was a little green bump growing on a branch. And I thought, well, it could be an apricot. And then the squirrels and the birds came through. And I don't see not one of them little green bumps anywhere in that tree. Today, as we look at the Word, and as we open up the Word, what the Word of God is talking about is the difference between profession and possession. So what do I mean? I mean, it's easy to say the words. It's a whole other thing to be what you say you are. Do we know that? I mean, all of us in some way in our lives, some realm in our life, there are things we profess to be. And just because you say it, for example, my wife would say, Jackie, we have a, a sink leaking, and I can profess myself to be a plumber. <laughs> right? But in the past, that has not worked out so good. <laughs> Profession, professing, saying the words that I can do this, doesn't necessarily mean I can Right? We know the difference. So once we say what we are, or say who we are, the easy part's over. And James is saying, look, I want you to understand the difference between a professor and a possessor. Someone for whom a relationship with Christ is words. And someone for whom a relationship with Christ is reality. And he's going to talk about three different kinds of faith. And if you watch it, you'll see them all. He's going to talk about dead faith. He's going to talk about demonic faith, and he's going to talk about dynamic faith. <clears throat> Only one of those three is saving faith. So he wants us to understand. He wants us to comprehend what it is he's laying out for us. So when he talks about profession, look there in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone, what's the phrase, says he has faith? He didn't say, what good is it if someone has faith? Is that what he said? All we got to do is spend a little time, read it. It's pretty clear. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? There's no fruit in the tree. There's no sign of the reality of, of what he speaks. Can that faith save him? Do words save people? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. 
Now, <clears throat> when we consider that, we, in today's vernacular, we go, yeah, that's, that's words, right? If I say, I believe in God, then, and I believe Jesus rose from the dead, hey, then I'm, then I'm good, right? Now, let's back up. You're reading now the book of Romans. You remember when Romans was written? Let's go back. Let's call it 58 A.D. just for fun. We'll go back to 58 A.D. You know what was going on in 58 A.D.? Something called Caesar worship. Yeah, they were coming up. They'd have to come before the temple of Caesar. And they would take a pinch of incense. And they would declare, <coughs> Kaiser Eschirios. Caesar is Lord. They drop that pinch of incense. They'd be getting a certificate. You're a good citizen. Then they could do whatever they wanted. Didn't matter. They didn't really care what else they did, who else they worshipped, but they had to do that. There was one group during that period of time that wouldn't do it. And so they were constantly being thrown to the lions and thrown out for, the, for, for a little fun with the gladiators. That particular group was Christians. Why? Because they had confessed, Jesus es curios. Jesus is Lord. And because they wouldn't bow a knee to another, they would oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, it could cost them their life. Just to say the phrase, Jesus is Lord. So when we read that in Romans 10, that word, confess, homo legeo, say the same thing as, that our lives are in some way mirror the reality of our profession. If we confess Him. In other words, if you were willing to stand before the headsman's axe and say, no, Jesus is Lord. Then God said, yeah, you're mine. You're mine. So when we come to the scripture and we look at James and we see what James is calling us to, we want to recognize it's not just about the words. Because words, words should have some type of behavior that follows them. And we live in a world full of words that, that uh, don't seem to mean much. But that's not supposed to be the purpose. The purpose is, man, we want to see the reality, the fruit coming forth in our life. So... This is a rhetorical question in verse 14. Meaning it demands a word no. Can this kind of faith save? No. No. Faith with no fruit doesn't save. Faith without fruit doesn't save. Look at verse 15. If a brother or sister, this is the example of what he means. This is the example of dead faith. Okay. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So this is the illustration. James is good about putting an illustration with a concept. Here's my concept. His concept is faith without fruit. Nothing showing forth in a life. Does that kind of faith save? Here's an example. A brother or sister. Now that's a, an important term, right? He's talking about somebody within the body, within the body of Christ. A brother or sister. <clears throat> in New King James, King James, some of the other translations say na naked and destitute of food. <clears throat> the idea, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, that our contentment should be based on this simple thing, that we have food and clothing. But it's saying a brother and sister don't have that. And they come to you for help, and you say the words. 
be warmed and filled. What good was it? Doesn't do any good, right? The words are nice. But what do you think somebody naked and hungry would rather have? Food and clothes? Yeah, food and clothes. Someone would rather have the things that they need. It says in Galatians 6.10, it says this, So then we have an opportunity. Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Someone who's a brother or sister. It doesn't say they call themselves a brother or sister. It says this is a brother or sister. Somebody in the body, naked and destitute of food. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples. How? By the way you love who? Each other. Now, does that mean we're not supposed to love in the world? No, it doesn't mean that. But, it, but before you can go out there and show love, you ought to be able to do it in here, right? Before you say you can love someone, you ought to be able to love the members of your family. If you can't love the members of your family, I'm not sure you're equipped <clears throat> to love somebody out there. So we, we have this concept. Hey, love one another. We talked about that two weeks ago. God wants us to love without partiality, right? Across the board, no matter who we are, or what we look like, or, or what backgrounds we have. If we come here, if we're a part of this body, then we ought to be able to love one another. And if someone who is loving one another comes and is naked and destitute, is in need. Jesus said, if a Roman soldier comes to you and taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to carry my load for a mile. What did Jesus say? Carry it too. What? That Roman soldier's dirt bag, I don't like that guy at all. What did Jesus say? Show him love. Show him love. If someone asks you for your tunic, give him your cloak also. The idea of expressing love. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his heart to him, how does the love of God abide in him? If you see your brother in need, but you close your heart, I don't care. How is it you have the love of God? Because Jesus said, love your enemies. Loving your family should be easy. He said, little children, let us not love in word, but let us love in deed. In other words, the word part's easy. The fruit of the reality that you say, I love my brother, is when my brother comes to me and he's, he doesn't have food or clothing. Now, it doesn't say when my brother comes to me and he, and he can't make his car payment. That's not what it said. What's the basic necessities for contentment in life? Food and clothing, 1 Timothy 6. So my brother doesn't have the basic necessities of food and clothing. What's he tell me to do? You better make sure he's in the body of Christ, you take care of him. That's our role. That's our responsibility. <clears throat> the words, be filled, have never filled my stomach yet. Yeah, no. We went to home, home something. What is it called? Hometown? What's the name of it? Somebody help me. Yeah, where do we eat? Farmhouse. Okay, so we went to the farmhouse. Because you know, <clears throat> you know the farmhouse. People were with me. Surely they know, right? 
they got that, that giant bread. What do you call it? Bass You guys have all ate there too. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You haven't been? We'll have to go. I'll hook you up. So you go, they got this, this crazy big thick bread. Now they brought the food. We ordered food. They brought the food. They set it on the table. And I ate it. If I had ordered, and they said, I say, prime rib. And they say, okay, that's 18 bucks, whatever. Here. And I pay for it. And then he says, be warmed and filled. And walks away. How many times are you guys going to eat there? Yeah, that's just dumb. Yeah, it is kind of dumb, isn't it? What's the point? The point is that the Word of God is calling us to action. To real action. Not just sitting back and being comfortable in our pie-in-the-sky world that, that we have. But the reality is He's calling us to more than that. He's calling us to follow Him. We don't want to give that response because the words aren't going to fill any, anybody. The words aren't going to do anything. So what's the main requirement? What is it that God's asking us here? Give them what they need. Give them what they need. So we want to be able to do that for one another. We want to see the reality. So listen to the principle in verse 17. Here's the principle in the first concept of faith. <coughs> so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Dead faith. Now you tell me, what good is something dead? Not very good, right? Unless you're talking about a cow that you had butchered or something, and then maybe it's good, but... The reality is, what he's talking about here, dead faith, what good is dead faith? We want living faith, we want dynamic faith, we want a faith that produces, right? We want something that produces in our life, not just words. Anybody can do that. Not just words, you can, you can say the right words, you can dress the right way to, to make anybody believe you're anything you want to be. But if the reality is what you want to do is show people that you're a Christian then the Word of God is telling us there ought to be action that goes with that. Not just words. Dead faith is just profession. Mere profession. Just saying the words. I'm a believer. And what's the condition? Dead and useless. So what's the response? Look at verse 18. Well, someone will say, he's already anticipating the, the question. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And what's he talking about? Let me ask you this. Let me simplify it. How do you see evidence of something that's invisible? One of the cool things that, that God did in a covenant relationship with his people, once upon a time with the nation of Israel, he said, look, uh, Abraham, I, I got this idea. I'm going to have a covenant relationship with you and... So I want there to be a sign, a symbol of our relationship. And I'm sure Abraham's thinking about all the cool things he could have done. Well, maybe he'll give me a tattoo on the forehead. Or there'll be a really big hat or cloak that I can wear, special clothes. Yeah, that, that tell, say to everybody, I belong to God. And then God said to Abraham, Circumcision. And I would imagine Abraham would say, nobody's going to see that. That's the point. That's the point. 
And then God would speak, even when the people were filled with pride over the concept of circumcision, and they, they elevated themselves over others because they said we're circumcised, what would God say? Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. It's supposed to speak an outward symbol of an inside reality. It's words unless the deeds follow. It's words unless fruit comes from the tree. It's just words. It's just stuff we do. But if it's not, if it's not real, how do we see evidence of that which is invisible? How do we see evidence of that which everyone can't see? Fruit. Because people see fruit, don't they? Do people notice when you love somebody? Do people notice when you're kind to someone? Is it possible to show the reality of your faith in how you relate to others, in how you face hardships in life? Is it possible for people to see the fruit from that? That's what we want to understand. You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith. I can't see it, it's invisible. It's something you say you have. And that's good. There ought to be evidence. There ought to be a reality that comes forth out of your life. I will show you my faith by my works. Faith is the root. Works is the fruit. You guys get it? Faith is the root. The reality is I believe God. We're going to talk about Abraham in a little while. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's what saved him, his faith. How do I know his faith was real? There was fruit that came forth out of the root. A root of faith will always bear fruit. Not most of the time, not some of the time, not every once in a while. A root of faith will always bear fruit. That's what James is talking about. That's what James is saying. It's not the root. Faith is the root. Works is the fruit of our faith. So look at verse 19. Here's the profession. We're moving into the next concept of faith. <clears throat> you say you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Well, what does that mean? Well, one guy would say, oh no, I, I have faith. I, have, I got really good theology. I got really good theology. You know who has better theology than you? The devil. But he's not saved by it. Don't you think the devil knows that there's one God? Don't you think the devil knows there's a trinity, the triune God, three in one? Don't you think the devil knows more about who God is and what God's like than you and me? How's it working for him? Not so good. Well, why not? Well, in the case of the devil, there's no faith. He knows there's a God. He knows that God exists. He knows all of those things. In fact, Romans chapter 1 says, listen, every man, child, uh, man, woman, and child on the face of the earth knows there is a God. I don't care what they say. I don't care they can stand up and say, I'm the president of the Atheist Association, and I don't believe there is a God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, they know there is a God. They hate that God. They're mad at that God. So they reject that God, and part of the rejection of God is to say, I'm an atheist. I don't, I don't believe. <coughs> But it's not because they don't know there's a God. They know. Everybody knows. That's what Romans 1 says. That's the condemnation of men. Men don't go to hell because they don't know God. Men go to hell because they have rejected the God they know. They don't want Him. I won't have this 
rule over me. I don't like him. I don't like how he thinks. I don't like what he does. I don't like how I, how I interpret his movement through the world, whatever, that, whatever the thing is. It's not a lack of evidence. It's a lack of submission to the God of the universe. So the devil here, he knows there's a God. He believes in God, but he's not saved. Does, denom- does, does demonic faith save? Not any more than dead faith. I remember when I was a kid, this, is what, this was the best way I'd go around school and I'd ask people, hey, you believe in God? And they say yes. And I'd say, cool, we're good. And, and I have no idea what God they're talking about. I have no idea any of those things, right? It's just a profession again. And in this case, it's a profession without submission. There's no knee bowed. In Romans 10, 9 through 11, let me, let me just read that for you again. Remember, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now listen, for with the heart, one believes and is justified. That's the root. With the mouth, one confesses and is saved. That's the fruit. Remember the story I told you. How were they confessing him? Standing before the man with the headsman's axe. On that moment, will you say, yes, I'm a believer? For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Everyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. Everyone who believes in him. So we see this example. Dead faith, demonic faith. The demons know God. The demons know for sure he exists, but they're not okay. They're not okay. In one case, you have profession without fruit. In this case, you have profession without submission. There's no relationship. There's the knowledge of existence, and that's it. And that is all there is. But in verse 20, look what he says. Do you want to be shown, O foolish man, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, this is a question. Pay attention to the question. Do you want to know? Or you just want to go on fooling yourself? Do you want to know that, that there is a reality of a relationship with God? And there's the possibility to fake that your whole life? Or do you, would you rather not know? Do you want to know? Oh foolish man, we've been saying in the book of Proverbs, what's the fool say in his heart? There is no God. No submission, no concept, no understanding. There is no God. So the concern we ought to have, do you want to know? You have to ask yourself that question. The condition in our own lives, are we foolish? Do we really have a relationship with the God we profess? The conclusion, faith without works, dead. No fruit from the root, then the root's dead. No fruit from the root, the root has no ability to save. So he's going to move on. To the examples of a dynamic faith. And here's where we'll probably park most of our time. He's moving on to the examples of a dynamic faith. What's that mean? What does it look like? I told you what it's not. How about I tell you what it is? Is that okay? I'll tell you what it is. Here's what it is. It says in James 2.21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Was he not justified by works? He's given the example of Abraham. Now remember I told you when James talks about works, he's not talking about keeping the law, he's talking about the fruit that issues from faith. So we're reading from Genesis 22, 
Genesis 22 is the example here of Abraham offering Isaac. Genesis 15 is when Abraham believed God. In Genesis 15 it said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him righteousness. Abraham was justified by his faith in chapter 15 of Genesis. The fruit from the root came in Genesis 22. Anybody want to guess how long it is from Genesis 15 to Genesis 22? At least 40 years. Abraham's justified by faith in chapter 15. In other words, he believed the promises of God. That's what the Bible says. He believed what God said. He believed in his heart. That's what Romans 10, 9, and 10 said, right? The first part, the root, I believe in my heart. The second part, I confess with my mouth. One part talks about <clears throat> the reality of the root of faith in my life, which is what saves me. And the other is the reality of fruit, which will always come from the root. Now, I'm not saying it always takes 40 years, but in this case, the example is 40 years old. 40 years later, Abraham's looking at the son that he loves, the only son, the one that God promised him that he believed about all the way back in chapter 15. And here we come all these years later. 40 years have passed and one day Abraham wakes up and God says to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son that you love. And sacrifice him to me in a place where I will show you. And the root of faith got up right away. Went to his son. Made a pack of wood to place on the back of his son. Grabbed the lamb and they left. Abraham left. Abraham's faith did not waver. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. What do I mean his faith didn't waver? It means he trusted God. God said, I'm giving you a son, and from your son, you're going to have so many descendants, you can't even count them. And what's Abraham know? If I kill my son, I can't have any descendants. So either God's testing me, or he's going to bring my son back to life. But either way, God's got this. The fruit from the root of faith was obedience to God. The fruit from the root of faith, the believing in his heart that God's promise was true, the fruit of that was obedience. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to obey him. In John 8, 39, listen to what it says. They answered him. These are the critics of Jesus. Abraham is our father. So Jesus said to them, If Abraham were your children, then you would do what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He obeyed God. What are these guys doing? Talking about killing Jesus. Now, I don't know what list you're on, but I'm pretty sure that violates at least one of the Ten Commandments, don't it? So, does that seem like obedience to God? I know. Let's kill God's son. That can't be a good plan, can it? So, it, look there. <clears throat> the fruit of behavior, Jesus is saying, should come from the life. If you say, you say, profess, you belong, you follow an Abraham, then you'll be like him. If you profess you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then what follows? You be like him. No? Isn't that how it's supposed to be? That I'm going to be like him? That I'm going to follow in that example? Listen to Hebrews 11. Here's what Hebrews 11 says about it. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring will be named. For he considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he had received him already. How did Abraham have a son? God gave it to him. Remember, Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. God gave him a son. So Abraham said, I already received him life from the death once. I can do it again. So the fruit of his faith brought forth the obedience to what God says. So in verse 22 of James, look what he says. You see that faith was active along with his works. Was the, did the faith cease to exist? If the root of faith doesn't exist, can there be fruit? If the root of the tree is dead, what's the tree? Dead, right? We all understand that? So if the root of faith is alive, then what comes forth? Fruit. Every time. Fruit will come forth. Fruit will be a part of what's going on. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed, made perfect through his work. What do I mean it was made perfect? Well, come full circle. There's always a profession, isn't there? Doesn't it always begin with a profession? Sure, one day, uh, there's probably been multiple times, but at least one day I'm thinking off the top of my head in the middle of a trailer in Midway Park in North Carolina, I'm on my knees in front of a couch calling out to God saying, yeah, I'm uh, I'm a mess, everything's ruined, I don't have anything to give you, but uh, uh, I'll give you this mess. Isn't that how we come to God? Well, this is what I got. I got a broken life, broken family, broken marriage, broken... I got a whole, a whole life of broken stuff. And I remember sitting on my knees on that couch with my hands up in the air saying, I'll give it all to you. And the amazing thing is that he wants it. Because here's what the Word of God says in Isaiah. He will give us beauty for ashes. That's how my life was, burnout husk. You know, just a pile of ash. You, do, you could have scooped up the ash all you wanted. I'm going to try to put this all back together again. You ever tried that? I'm going to glue a log back together from ash. Is that going to work? Just going to make a mess, right? But God says, I want the ash. Give me the ash. And I lift that ash to God and then He makes it beautiful again. He's the only one that knows where the pieces go. How is it that the faith of that moment is made complete? That when my life, when deed matches word, you have truth. You get what I'm saying? When the deeds, when my actions, when my life matches the word, I got full circle. I got complete. It's real. And that's what, that's what James is talking about. I want to talk about real faith. I want to talk about living faith. I want to talk about a faith that's dynamic and moving and accomplishing things. Well, here's the reality. It comes together. Root and fruit come together and it's complete. Now you know what kind of tree it is. Now you know the tree. Now you know what's going on. It has reached its goal. It's obedient to God. That's the key. I thank God that He's patient. 
I don't know, I'd have to count the years, but I don't know how long it took from beginning in my life to the fulfillment. I just know that I know it's real because of where I ended up. I know it's real. You want to know it's real? You stick with it. You just keep going. And one day you're surprised. Look at that, there's fruit. The root's alive. The profession is real. It's all true. Listen to what he says about the scripture in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled. So the scripture was right. That's what he's saying. The scripture's right that said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's what we're talking about. Abraham believed. He professed 40 years earlier. 40 years later, James is saying, now we know it's real. We know it's real. Why? Because fruit came from the root. Abraham obeyed God. Now, there's a number of times we followed Abraham's life. We might say, oh, you're not doing so good right now. Not doing so good right now. Not doing so good right now. But there was the day. All the things that God was working in his life brought through fruition came to a complete and finished work in the life of Abraham. Here's the good news. This is what God declares to you. If I have begun a good work in you, I will finish it. James is saying, look, your profession, it's got to lead, it's got to go somewhere. The root needs to bear forth fruit. How does that happen? Well, let me tell you this, the wrath of man never accomplishes the righteousness of God. The wrath of man never accomplishes the righteousness of God. What's that mean? That means when you, when you start going through life and, and things don't work out the way you want. Anybody have life where things didn't work out the way they wanted? Just two of us. Wow, shocking. <coughs> Two of us, that happened. Life doesn't work out the way you want. It's, it's come around the different way. And what do we do? We get mad. Listen, I got mad at God, and for 13 years, I ran in the opposite way. And you know what fruit came from that choice? Death. I killed. I took life. Literally, during those 13 years. I destroyed a family. Probably multiple families. That's the fruit of rebellion. We rebel against God. When we say, you know what, God, I don't like how this worked out. I'm mad at God. I'm thinking... My dad was a preacher. He bailed. He left my mom. Now, uh, now me and my brothers got to take care of my mom. Was uh, not quite an invalid, but she, I don't know what you call her. Disabled, hundred percent disabled. So me and my brothers took care of her, and we're all mad. I didn't make a vow. I didn't stand up before God and promise to take care of her forever. But as her son, me and my brothers—that's what we do. But I, got, I was mad at God. Why? This is not what I picked. God, I had a way better plans. I don't like this. So I'll tell you what. If you're not going to do what I want, I'm out of here. Brilliant. Perfect choice. Let's talk about it. Here's God. The Bible says every good thing that you experience in life comes from Him. And so I'm mad at Him. So I say, I don't want any of that. I don't want no good stuff in my life. 
And for 13 years, hard as I could run, hard as I could run. And at the end of 13 years, the fruit, I can look back at it and I could see my life looks like somebody had made a bombing run on it and it's just full of holes. Now I'm not going to say I never smiled. Sure, I smiled. Sure, I smiled the whole time. I get together with a bunch of friends and we'd smile all night drinking. And the next day, I'd have this panic feeling in my heart and mind thinking, what did I say? What did I do? Oh my gosh, I didn't really say that. I, I didn't really do that. And I have to live for four days going, oh, I, I, I'm trying to reconcile all the mess I made until the next time I could have a drink. Oh, super life. And if I have a nickel for every time somebody tells me, oh yeah, I'm happy there. No, you're not. It's a lie. I've been there. I have my head stuck under toilets. I, got, I come home beat with a pipe and go, what happened? I don't remember that. Yeah, that ain't life, man. That's dying slow. It's just dying slow. And one day, probably at the bottom of all of that, <coughs> after being declared, you know, after hearing the declaration, oh, Jackie, you know, all this, this stuff you've been doing, great. The fruit of all that stuff is HIV. After hearing that, I knelt in front of a couch. And I said, whoa, this is what I got. And do you know that God at that couch said, I'll take it. It's beautiful to me. It's amazing when you realize that, that God loves us enough to redeem us out of all the junk, out of all the garbage, out of all the crazy things we get flipped around in our mind. God says, I'll redeem it. I'll take it, and I'll put the pieces back together again. Now, I'm 53. I'm not I'm never supposed to live this long. I, I told God when I was 17, not past 20-something. That's it. And he didn't follow that request. I'm never supposed to live this long. Never supposed to have kids. I have three. Never supposed to have grandkids. I have three. So I better look and make sure. I got three? <coughs> Cole and Emily haven't called or nothing, right? Okay. We're holding out for more. I have so much beautiful fruit in my life since I gave my life to Christ. And I go back and I look at that other stuff and I say the fruit of rebellion is destruction. And the fruit of faith is everlasting life. Now you pick. But when you tell me what you're picking, don't blow smoke at me because I've been on both roads. And if you're gone far enough down that road, you know where it leads. You know where it comes out. You know the reality of what's going on. The authentication of the word of God. Man, this is what God said. Abraham, believe me. And I changed his life. Jackie believed me and I changed his life. And my life today don't look like... I had a bunch of Marines found me on Facebook from the dark ages. From the battle days. 
And they find out my Facebook says I'm a preacher. So one of them is like, dude, you're kidding, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, pretty crazy, huh? He's like, man, if I had to pick all the people who would never find Jesus, would have been you. It's like, man, I don't know what to tell you. God's good at what he does. God's good at what he does. So we, the Bible says, we need to judge ourselves so that we won't be judged. What does that mean? It means I need to look at my life and say, is the root of faith in my life alive or dead? What root do I have? Is it a root of rebellion against God? I'm mad at God? I'm angry at God for circumstances in life? Look, all of us could tell sad stories about why what happened in our life we're disappointed of. Let me tell you this. Apart from God, you have no hope. This is what Jesus said from the throne, the book of Revelation. You read it. When there's a new heaven and a new earth, when God wraps it all up and he puts it all in a bow, this is what he promises. I make all things new. Doesn't say most things, not some things. He says, I make all all things new. The only hope I have for the recon- reconciliation of the disappointments of my life is in Christ. Outside of Him, what hope you got? What hope outside of Him? What, do you, what, what hope are you going to give me? Why go on another day? But here's the promise of Christ. I'll start a work. I'll finish it. And I'll make all things new. I'm going to take all the broken pieces of your heart And I know how to sew them back together. I'll take all the disappointments of your life and I know how to bring them all back together. He promises he's going to do that. And it's the the scene is we're looking at God, we're looking at a new heaven and a new earth and the throne and there's Jesus on the throne and he's looking at you and I as we're coming up, we're walking up to the throne and we're tripping because (coughs) everything's new and he's going to say to you, see, I told you, I'll make it all new. Whatever we ever lost in Adam, we get so much back in Christ. It's not even worth comparing. Everything that we need is in Him. It says, Scripture said, and it is fulfilled. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend. Literally, the word is a lover of God. He was called a lover of God. The word is phileo. Phileo in the Greek is a a brotherly love, right? Philadelphia, you... We know the phrase, the city of brotherly love. <laughs> it's a Greek word. <clears throat> Phileo. He's called the friend of God. It's not that God needs a friend. It's that he is a friend to God. He is, he is saying, look, I'm a, I'm a lover. I love God. He's my friend. We have relationship. We have companionship. Not words. Anybody can do words. He's saying, no, this is real. Abraham is saying, this is real. I took my son and I laid him on an altar. When he, my son was in his 20s, I lay him on an altar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill him. I got a knife up in the air. God's my friend. In the middle of my heartbreak, he called out to me. Hey, Abraham, I got it. What you're doing, Abraham, is an act, an illustration that in order to change this world, in order to get things back on track, a father needs to sacrifice his son. But Abraham, I'm not going to call you to do it. In fact, Abraham, you're going to call the name of this place Yahweh Yideh, which means God will provide himself the sacrifice. For God will give 
his son to fulfill what Abraham illustrates for us. He gives another example in verse 25. We want to look at it. It says, In the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works? <coughs> I love it that the Bible is full of this. What do you mean? You know there are three questionable, that's a nice way of putting it, women in the genealogy of Christ. Three questionable women. Rahab, Tamar, Bathsheba. You guys all know their stories, don't you? Rahab's a prostitute. Spies come to her. Now the Bible tells us that before the spies ever came, Rahab believed in her heart that, that God was doing something. That, that the land belonged to God. In fact, she tells the spies, Look, I know that, that God's given all this to you. So I, I, I just want to know, will you, will you give a good word for me if I take care of you? Can you guys somehow take care of me? You know what they told her? Yeah, we can do that. Here's what we'll do, Rahab. Take a scarlet thread and hang it out your window. A a scarlet thread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a thread of scarlet. Put it out your window. Who's going to see that? You mean to tell me that the soldiers come barging in, killing everybody in the city, wiping everybody out. They're going, oh, wait, there's a scarlet thread. You know who's going to see it? God. That's the only one who needs to see it. And what's God going to do? You know that God can make blind eyes see. Do you know he can make seeing eyes blind? Do you know that in the midst of all the chaos of Jericho, as the walls fall down, Rahab's house was on the outside, so she lived on the wall. So the only part of the wall that didn't fall down was whose house? Rahab's. And you know everybody who was in her house was saved? And it becomes an illustration. An illustration of what? Jesus. Everyone who's in Christ is saved. If you're outside of Christ, you're down with the walls. If you're in Christ, the scarlet thread of redemption saves you too. Everyone who came to her house. You don't think Rahab was inviting everybody she knew? Her mom and dad, aunts, uncles, second, third, fourth, fifth cousins. Anybody who would listen. Hey guys, they're coming. They're going to get us. (coughs) They march around day one. Now I'm telling you, something bad's going to happen. You guys all need to come to my house and then you'll be alive. We all need to go to the prostitute's house. God is going to save us all because we went to a prostitute's house. I don't think so. You know, you're just not good enough. She was good enough for God. God's like, yeah, everybody who comes, everybody in that house, he saved. Oh, that's not all. You thought that was the end of the story? Do you know... I don't know if I can count far enough. Daniel's always better at counting. I always ask Daniel. So, one, two, two three. So not grandma, great-great-grandma. The great-great-grandma of King David. You want to guess what her name was? Rahab. What? Yeah, Seriously. The great-great-grandma, King David. Rahab. Now, does God do what he promises? If God says, look, if you, if I start a work in your life, I'll finish it. Did he keep it with Abraham? Oh, and you might say, well, Abraham, pretty good guy, but, you know, I'm worse than that. Well, how about Rahab a harlot? Did he keep his promise to her? 
did the root of faith bring forth fruit? How do I know there was fruit in Rahab's life? It's not as obvious as she didn't sacrifice anybody. What was the fruit of her life? I'll give you the best one. She was standing in a room where God told her to stand when the walls came down. I promise you, nobody wanted to be on the walls. You're in a room. I just want you to picture it. You're in a room. You're packed in. Hopefully there's hundreds of people in there. Maybe not. <coughs> but I'm sure she tried. You got all these people packed into that room. And then they shout outside. You remember the story? March around the city seven times, shout. Walls come down. What do you think that sounds like if you're on the wall? What's it look like? What's it feel like? How do I know that the root of her faith brought forth fruit? She stayed in a room. And God made everything new. She not known Rahab the harlot anymore. She's known as a great grandma, King David. She has a place of honor in the honor rolls of faith. She lived thousands of years ago. We're still talking about her. I'm gone for 10 years. Nobody's even going to remember my name. People still know hers. And Bathsheba's. And Tamar, same thing. Little root of faith in God, and God redeemed their lives. He brought it all back around. Listen to what the Word says. He wraps it up together in verse 26, last verse. <coughs> Look at what he says. For just as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. If there is no fruit, there is no root. There has to be fruit. Now, here's the tricky part. You can't make fruit happen. I spent a lot of money on a guy to cut that stupid apricot tree. Spray it with some kind of special vitamins and minerals. We'll make fruit come out of that tree. No, you won't. And if I can't make fruit come out of a tree, how am I going to make it come out of my life? This is the easiest part of the day. You ready? Abide in the vine. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. I just got to stay connected. I got to stay in Christ. I'm like, oh, that's why I want to be where Jesus is. I've got a lot of things I love to do in life, and I'm sure you do too. And a lot of things that are fun, and they're good, and they're not bad in and of themselves. I want to bring Christ into those things. I, I love riding, so I want to ride for Christ in some way. I love hunting. I want, to, I want to hunt for Christ. I want to bring, I don't want to make Christ conform to all my desires. I want to make all my desires conform to Him. He's the root. And I just stay connected. How do I stay connected? For God so loved the world that he, his only begotten son, that whosoever believing in him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So how do I stay connected to Christ? Believe. I believe. I put my faith and trust in Him. 
Last illustration, hopefully, and I'll let us all go. Look, <coughs> you guys believe in M chairs? How do I know? Oh, look how that worked. You guys believe in Christ? If you do, you will be sitting in him. If you don't, you know. You're sitting in something else. We want to stay in Christ. And when we do, what happens? We bear fruit. Jesus said, I'll make it all new. That promise is in him. Not outside of him. In him. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 to 14 says, How was I found in you? How do I get into Christ? He said, when you heard the gospel, the good news, that God loved you enough to send his son to die for you, to pave a way so that you can have a relationship with him. When you heard the good news and you believed in your heart, you were in Christ. And if you're in Christ, fruit happens. Stay in Christ. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (coughs) Father God, we thank you that we can be gathered. We thank you for the opportunity to be in this place. We thank you, God, for all the incredible things that your word teaches us and shows us that the way of life is here in your word. If we'll look, if we'll allow it to speak, if we'll allow ourselves to submit, because God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve somebody. God, even Bob Dylan, moved by your spirit, said those things. I'm going to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it may be the Lord, but I'm going to serve somebody. And I can rebel against God and bring forth death in my life. Or I can trust God and, and see him bring life. God, I just pray, Lord, as we gather in this place, as we go from here down the river, as we, as we celebrate those making a profession of faith in Christ and being baptized, following in baptism, which is an outward sign of an inward change. And I'm dead to the old life, and I'm being raised to a new life. I'm going forward and <clears throat> following Christ, and I'm going to watch fruit happen in my life. I'm going to see the fruition, the completion of the circle as... Faith moves to fruit. God, as we, as we celebrate those things, I pray, God, for each and every one of us in this place, Lord, that the most important place we can look is not outside, not at our neighbor, not behind us, not at the guy that did this or the gal that did that. The most important place we can look is at ourselves. Where am I in all of this? Where is the road I'm currently walking? Where's that taking me? God, I pray that you would lead us, your church, to a place where we would judge ourselves so that we would not be judged. Or we'd look at our life and say, God, I don't know if, if I'm where I want to be, but how do I get there? It's simple. The Word of God declares that Jesus commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. It means stop. Change your direction. Put your faith in Christ. And watch Him, through His amazing grace, breathe life. God, we pray that you be glorified as we submit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.